this, some thoughts on this topic are included in, in other studies, but just to have a standalone study on the teaching role of women in the church, I don't, I don't know that I ever heard one. And so I thought we'd look at it a little while this evening, and many of you, most of you probably know where, where I'll go with this. Uh, some of you may not, and hopefully we all can learn something from this, from this topic this evening. Uh, as I begin to think about the topic, I realized how many trails you could go off on, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to stay pretty well on, on topic as much as possible, uh, but there are some, some things that we need to define, some things we need to understand, and, and some, uh, some uh, parameters that we need to, some boundaries we need to, to set before we uh, completely get immersed in this topic, and my goal in doing is that is so I won't wander around quite so much. If you ask someone outside of the church what the teaching role of women in the church of Christ was, a lot of times you'd get the answer that they don't, there's not one. They don't have one. Women are not allowed to teach in the church. And, and maybe you have even thought that. There are some even in the church of Christ that, that take that position. I want to tell you that's just not true at all. Uh, the first thought that comes to mind when we, when we talk about the teaching role of, of women, though, is defined by two scriptures in the Bible. And uh, we need to look at those two scriptures, and then maybe we'll understand a little better some of the boundaries we need to set as we're discussing this. But if you look at those two passages, they are 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12, and 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35. And those are the two scriptures that directly teach or talk about women's uh, teaching role. But we don't always recognize everything that those two scriptures talk about. So let's just get it out of the way and let's look at these two scriptures right quick. 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. 1 Corinthians says in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 34, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will, keep, if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shame for women to speak in the church. Now, we're going to take a, a close look at these two scriptures and compare them in a few minutes. But the thing I want you to notice right now is where do these scriptures apply? Where do they apply? Do they apply all the time? Or do they apply in a, in a specific circumstance? They apply in the assembly of the churches. And that's the only place they apply. In the assembly of the churches. 1 Corinthians 14.34 there plainly says that uh, it is a shame for women to speak in the church. It says, let your women keep silence in the churches. Now, we as Christians are a part of the church 
24 hours a day, seven days a week. But we're in the assembly only a part, only a fraction of that time. So we can be talking about two different things when we're talking about being in the church. We can talk, be talking about being in the assembly of the church or we can be talking about just being a member of the church. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. <clears throat> uh, in Acts chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, the Bible says, Then departed Barnabas, to Tarsus for to seek Saul and when he had found him he brought him to Antioch and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the churches and taught much people and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch they're talking about being in church but what was the specific context they assembled together this scripture is talking about assembling together being called out of our homes into an assembly of the church now I want you to compare this to Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Now, who were these attacks made against? The church. The attacks were made against the church, but was it in an assembly of the church? The Bible says it was in every house. It wasn't in an assembly of church. It was still considered to be the church, but it was in every house. It was not in an assembly of the church. So you see, when we're talking about the church, we have to know the context of what we're talking about. Is it an assembly or is it outside assembly? So what, what, uh, what is the context taking place here in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy chapter 2? You know, typically... In this congregation, in a, within a week, we spend about three hours in the assembly. Now, that may depend on whether we have a first Wednesday singing that week or whether we're having a gospel meeting uh, that week. It may be more or less, but typically it's going to be about three hours. Zane, could I get a bottle of water? I'm already getting dry. So... My question to you and the thing I want you to consider is uh, what about the other 165 hours in a week? If we spend three hours in assembly, what about the other, other time that we're not in the assembly? Well, I want to tell you that 1 Corinthians 14 and 34 and, and by extension 1 Timothy 2 and 12 restrict, restrict women from teaching within the assembly. Not outside the assembly. How do we know this? Thank you. <clears throat> if we study 1 Corinthians 14 in its entirety, and I encourage you to do so, that whole chapter talks about what goes on within the assembly and certain restrictions, restrictions on different people, restrictions on activities, but that whole chapter is a study or a, a, a topic on, on the assemblies. So when we're talking about the teaching role of, of women, we need to understand whether we're talking about within the assembly or outside the assembly. Now another parameter that Brother Jim talked about quite a bit this morning, and I was glad he did, is the topic of su subjection because 
there in 1 Corinthians 14 and 34 and also in 1 Timothy 2, uh, the topic of subjection comes up. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 puts it as being under obedience. Where the topic of subjection comes up, both men and women sometimes have a skewed interpretation of what that's talking about. Let me ask you, what, what, what does it mean to you? What, what do you think being in subjection is? The definition of subjection is, is really of no value. It just talks about being in subjection. It's, it's not, it doesn't help the, the, uh, the study at all. My idea of being in subjection is actually being in an absence of leadership. In other words, you're not being in a leadership position in that time. You're listening. You're more of a listener. You're taking things in. You're not being a leader. You're not putting it out there. But, you know, sometimes men and sometimes men even in the church have a different view of what subjection is. Maybe it's a view of, of being of inferior, of less importance. Sometimes women, when they're approached with the topic of subjection, they think that men are trying to put them in an inferior light, a less important light. So what is it to you? Uh, I want to tell you, if men treat women as if they are of less importance or inferior, that is sin. That's all it is. It's sin. If women believe that being in subjection at times makes them of less importance, that's error because that's not what it is. You know, the Bible says that women are to be in subjection to their husbands and they're to be in subjection in the assemblies of the churches. And that's it. That's it. My wife doesn't have to be in subjection to my brother. Your wife doesn't have to be in subjection to me. Except within the parameters of the assembly. Think it's a problem? I want you to consider for a few moments who else has to be in subjection in the assemblies. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 verses 27 through 28. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. So if a, a brother from India comes into our service, and he is only capable of speaking Telugu, he can't speak English at all, he can only speak Telugu, you know what he has to be? In subjection. He has to be in subjection. He cannot speak. He has to be in silence, just as the women have to be in silence. If there's no one that can interpret for him, or he can't speak our language, he has to be in subjection. Now look at another one. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29 through 32. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to, one, to another that setteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of, prophet, of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know who else has to be in subjection in, in the church, in the assemblies of the church? Every single one of us. 
Every single one of us at some point has to be in subjection. Brother Jim was speaking this morning. And if he had went off on, a, on something, on a doctrine that was a false doctrine, completely opposed to the Bible, David and I would have had, a, had an obligation to stop that. But as long as he was speaking truth, no matter if we were sitting back there and thought, you know, there's a better way of putting that, Jim. There's other scriptures that would, would teach that better than the way you're teaching it. I can't stand up and, and say that. I've got to be in silence. I'm in subjection. And as an elder of the church, I'm in subjection at that point in time. That's the way that the assemblies are set up. We're to prophesy one by one. If one is speaking, let him get done speaking before anyone else speaks. That's what it's talking about there. Let him finish his thoughts before anyone else speaks. That's being in subjection. Every single one of us are in subjection at times. Ephesians chapter 5 and 21. Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Period. Full stop. There is no gender equation. There is no age deferential in that scripture. Every one of us are to submit ourselves one to another. It has nothing to do with being of less importance or inferior. Every one of us are subject to the law enforcement of this county or any other county that we may travel through. Does that mean that we're of less importance than law enforcement? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. You parents, are your children less important than you are? Are they inferior to you? Of course not. In no case is one who is in subjection considered to be of less importance or inferior. But some, even among the, those who consider themselves to be Church of Christ, teach that 1 Timothy 2 and 12 tells us that a woman cannot teach at all. That she cannot pray. And this can't be true. This cannot be true. Because we know that the Bible does not contradict itself. And if that were true, that would be a direct contradiction of the Bible. If women cannot teach at all, what do we do with Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 4? Excuse me, I got a little bit ahead of myself. There, 1 Timothy says, but I suffer not a woman to teach. If, that, if that's true, look at Titus verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. How are they going to do that if they can't teach at all? That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Oh, so they can teach other women, but they can't teach men. No, that's not what that scripture says is it at all. It says that they are to be teachers of good things. First Corinthians says it's a shame for, the, for a woman to speak in the church but are you listening closely enough to know what that means it just means in the church in the assemblies of the church now I want to look at some, some people say that 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy chapter 2 are teaching different things that they're not they're not uh, parallel verses 
that they teach different things. So let's, let's look at them just for a moment. And I know this is kind of a busy screen, but I wanted to lay them side by side to look at this for just a moment. Let's see what the, these scriptures are saying. First of all, 1 Corinthians says, if they will learn. 1 Timothy 2 and 11 says, let the women learn. 1 Corinthians says that the women must keep silence. 1 Timothy says, let the woman learn in silence. 1 Corinthians said they must be under obedience. 1 Timothy says, with all subjection. 1 Corinthians says it is not permitted unto them to speak. 1 Timothy says, but I suffer not a woman to teach. 1 Corinthians says, commanded to be under obedience. 1 Timothy says, not, nor use of authority over the man. And finally, 1 Corinthians says, it is shame for women to speak. 1 Timothy says, but to be in silence. Women are to be in silence. These verses are parallel. Where one of them applies, they both apply. Whether one doesn't apply, neither one applies. So we can't pick and choose and say, oh, but 1 Timothy says that a wimp... Women can't teach at all under any situation. They can't teach a man under any situation. They have to be in, in silence in the presence of a man. That's ridiculous. Within the confines of the assembly, that is true. But outside of the assembly, it is not true. Now, let's move on. Going back to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. <clears throat> Let your women keep silence in the church. For it is not permitted to them to speak, but they are commanded to be in obedience, as also saith the law. You ever notice that little phrase? That's a little phrase with a lot of meaning right there. As also saith the law. What law? Well, most people would say it's the law of Moses, and that's okay. I think it actually goes back to the Garden of Eden. I think it's always been God's law. However women can teach, I think it's always been that way. However they cannot teach in the assemblies, it's always been that way. But it's a little easier to make the parallel, make the comparison, if we look at the law of Moses. <clears throat> now we know that we are all commanded to be under obedience. But what it, does it mean for women when it says to be like the law? They are to be under obedience, as also saith the law. <clears throat> You'll notice that under the law of Moses, women were never allowed to be priests. They were not allowed in service in the tabernacle. They did not perform sacrifices for other people. They were not in leadership roles when the, when the uh, children of Israel assembled together. What about when they weren't assembled together? What about in just everyday life? What about the other 165 hours of the week? So let's just look at a few examples of women under the law of Moses. And I apologize ahead of time for having so much text on the screen, but I thought it was important that we see this all at once, how it lines up. In Judges chapter 4, Beginning in verse 4, we see a woman here by the name of Deborah. The Bible says Deborah was a prophetess. 
You know what a prophetess is? In the Hebrew, that's an inspired woman. She was inspired by God. It says that the, she was the wife of Lapidol. She judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and the children of Zebulun? Now let's look at this a little bit. We know that this woman was a prophetess. We know that it says that she judged Israel at that time. We know that Israel came up to her for judgment. This is outside the assembly. Deborah did not call the children of Israel together. But they came to her for judgment. She judged Israel at that time. In this specific instance... She sent and called for Barak, a man. She called a man and she told him what the Lord God of Israel had planned for him. She taught him the word of God. Now, somebody may say, well, what, what does that, what does being a judge have to do with uh, the teaching and role of women? Well, back in the, in the, uh, or today, in our civil law, a judge would apply laws enacted by men, and those laws may be or may not be in keeping with God's law. But when Deborah was a judge, the law she was teaching, the law she was applying, was God's law. And that's all it was. So the things that she held in esteem and those things that she taught were God's law. And in this instance, she, she taught a man God's law. She also made judgments in between people. And sometimes those two people would be two men. You know, under the law at that time, if you had a, a house and that house had a flat roof, which nearly all of them did, you had to have a fence around that roof in case you, a visitor went up there on that roof to, to get a cool breeze in the cool of the day, you had to have a fence around that roof so somebody didn't fall off. If someone did fall off, you didn't have that fence up and they fell off, they could take you before Deborah and they could get relief for, for that accident. And she would apply the law in the manner that it was written. So she was teaching people constantly the law that God had set up there. So I ask you, was Deborah usurping authority over the man? Not in any way. She was given authority and she was authorized by God to do those things. Another one we see in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 14 and 15. We see a, a woman here named Huldah. And the Bible says, So Hilkiah the priest and Ahakam and Akbar... And Seraphim and Asahiah went into Huldah the prophetess. There's that word again. Another inspired woman. <clears throat> so here in this instance, uh, let's go ahead and read the rest of that verse. 
She was the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harris, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they communed with her. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me. And that's the end of that verse. But she goes on in the preceding verses to tell exactly what God had told her to tell them. Now what I want you to notice is there's one, two, three, four, five men. Five men that she called together to tell them the word of God. The Bible says that they communed with her. In other words, they came in to her and she taught them the word of God. She taught them what the word of God held for them. This was not an assembly of Israel. They came to her for this teaching. And she taught them exactly what God expected of them. <clears throat> she said, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. She told them exactly what God had said to her. So did Huldah usurp authority over men? Absolutely not. Women have been given just as much authority to teach God's word outside the assembly, away from the assembly, as men have. A woman cannot usurp authority when authority has been given to her to make to perform uh, teaching. Now let's move on to the New Testament. Ever heard of a woman named Anna? This this account's very interesting to me because on the surface, it it appears that this might be an assembly uh, of the uh, of the of Israel of the children of Israel, but it's actually not. It's a private ceremony uh, to fulfill commandments that the law made. This ceremony is taking place in the temple where people met to, to worship. That's where it's taking place. And I find that very interesting, but it still wasn't an assembly of Israel. There were men, women, and children involved, but it still wasn't an assembly. It was a private ceremony. It was based on personal reasons. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38, and this is a very long reading, but I think we need to, to have it all uh, to be in context. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him, first of all, her, her purification, that's Mary, the him that they brought was Jesus, the baby Jesus. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now if you'd like to read where these uh, requirements are, you can look back to Leviticus, the 12th chapter, and you can read in full, in full what exactly is going on here. Because these things are commanded to be done right down to the day. It was 33 days since Jesus' birth. And that's how long it had to be before these things could take place. So they were there. Mary and Joseph had brought Jesus there for these rituals to be performed. For these, this private ceremony to take place. For these sacrifices to be done. Which also means that most likely 
There was a priest of the Levites there as well to perform these, these sacrifices. But they had come there to fulfill God's commandment uh, as part of the law. Now there, verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just, just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, he, he was supposed to get to see the baby Jesus before he died. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the, parent, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. So here was an old man named Simeon, and he had been promised by the Holy Ghost that he would see the Christ child before he, Simeon, passed from this life. And God is going to use this instance to fulfill this promise to him. Verse 28, Then took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken unto him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, and a sword shall pierce through thine own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So here, here's old Simeon. He's been promised that he'd get to see the Christ child. He comes in and they present, present Jesus to him. He takes him up in his arms and he begins to pray. He blesses God. He gives thanks for this opportunity. And then he looks at Mary and Joseph and, and he blesses them. He begins to pray on their behalf. And he begins to talk about things that Jesus will accomplish. And then something else takes place. That's very interesting. I want you to know right now we've got Joseph, we've got Mary, we've got the baby Jesus, we've got Simeon, and we've most likely got a priest of the Levites in the room at this time. Verse 36, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and with prayers night and day. And she coming in in that instance gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. So here we've got another inspired woman. She comes into the presence of a priest, Joseph, Mary, Jesus, and Simeon. And the Bible says she gave thanks likewise. What does that mean? She gave thanks just like Simeon had done. She began to pray. You know there are those that say that a woman can't pray in the presence of a man. That's not what this scripture tells us. She came in and she began to do this. 
Not only did she do that, but the Bible says she spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. She was constantly teaching. This was not an assembly. I understand that it looks a little bit like one, but this was a private ceremony, and she had every right to come in, to pray in front of men, and to begin to teach in front of men, as she did here. Not only that, she taught everyone that would listen to her. Anybody that was listened to her, she taught about the redemption, those that looked for redemption in Jesus, in Jerusalem. She taught Jesus to anyone that would listen to her. So if you've got a problem with this, your problem's not with me, your problem's with the Word of God. Because that's exactly what she did outside the assembly. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 18, verse 24, 26, you all know this, this scripture, but we see another example. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit, and he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And when he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him, I'm sorry, that's messed up, they took him, to them privately, expounding to him the way of God more perfectly. So here's a case of, of uh, a woman, Priscilla, and her husband, Aquila. They were in an assembly of the church. They were in the synagogue. The church had been called together, and they were in that assembly. And a man stood up and began to speak, and he didn't have the whole picture of God's law. He had a part of it. He only knew the baptism of John. And the Bible says they took unto him, took him unto them. What does that mean? It means that they took him aside privately out of the assembly. And they began to teach him. They expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Now, Got behind on something here. I've heard several times in my life men say, well, they uh, they did take him aside, but Aquila was actually the one that taught. Priscilla was the hostess. Is that what that scripture says? If that were the case, would the scripture say they took him unto them? If you're going to make the case that Aquila was actually the one that was teaching and Priscilla was simply serving as a, as a hostess, if you're going to make that leap, I've got just as much a right to make the leap that they took him unto them so she could teach 
because she was the stronger of the two teachers. I can make that I can make that claim just as easily as you can make the one that she had no role in it. The scripture says that they together, being one, husband and wife, took him unto them and they taught him the way more perfectly. And I think it's, uh, it's distinctly possible that they did that so she could teach. You know, Aquila had, had every opportunity to stand up right there in the synagogue after uh, Apollos had his, had his say and sat down. Aquila could have stood up right there in the synagogue and began to correct him right there and to expound to him the word of God more perfectly. He could have done that. It would have been edifying to, those, to others in that assembly. But they didn't do that. They took him aside and taught him privately. And I believe it with, with all my heart it was so she could have a role in that teaching. <clears throat> was she usurping authority? No. She's been given authority to teach outside the assembly. Finally, the last one is in Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. Here the Bible says, And the next day we were all of Paul's company, departed and came into Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Who was there? We that were of Paul's company. So you got Paul, Luke, and others coming into the house of Philip, who was an evangelist. And what happens? The man has four daughters. And the Bible says that they prophesied, they taught in that home. You know who one of the main people that received a blessing from this from these from these ladies that prophesied their own father Philip but the bible says in this instance that the apostle paul was there and he was involved in that as well he was one of those that was learning what the word of god was that god had imparted to these four women It wasn't an assembly. It was in a home. And they prophesied. I want you to look at prophecy for just a moment. It's a rather lengthy definition, but there's two things I want you to notice very carefully. First of all, they are those who speak forth by divine inspirations. These women had divine inspirations. They were given words directly from God. Another thing I want you to notice is this 1D1. To teach, to refute, to reprove, to admonish, to comfort others. That's the responsibility that these women had. It was a role that was given to them. They were not usurping authority. They had authority. Look, God is aware of the fact that women are going to come in contact with people, both men, women, and children that need to be taught. He's aware of that. Everyone needs to hear the word of God. And he requires that both men and women be actively involved in teaching his word. 
I hope if you get nothing else, you get that from this study this evening. You know, I realize that there may be other questions that this study has caused that we, we weren't able to talk about this evening. We didn't have time to do. And, and if you have those questions, I'd, I'd urge you to, to talk to one of us, to me or one of the other brethren, and, and we'll sit down and, and be glad to discuss those things with you. But uh, the bottom line is that God wants his people to be saved. You know, so do we that are in this assembly this evening. We want people to be saved. Everyone in this building wants everyone else in this building to be saved. To have a home in heaven. No matter if you're a man, woman, or child. That's what we want. And a part of submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, as it said in Ephesians 5 and 21, is helping one another attain that goal. Helping one another achieve that goal. Teaching one another, whether you're a man or a woman, is helping one another reach that goal. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.